Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us how when the Holy Spirit is planted in the good ground of an honest heart, that in patience, the Holy Spirit will do his job of producing good fruit. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Now here's some highlights from yesterday's message. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. As long as I do my job taking care of the soil of the tree, that then the tree will do its job. Now here's Tom Cantor as we continue our expository study in Genesis every Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. What made the difference between fruitfulness and non-fruitfulness in that tree? Did the tree have to be replaced with a better tree to get? No. It was the same tree that yielded fruit one year, and the same tree did not yield the fruit another year, and the same tree returned. The tree was always good. The same tree had the capacity to yield or not to yield fruit every year. The capacity never changed for the tree. What determined whether or not there was going to be fruit on that tree was whether or not I did my job of working the ground that the tree was planted in. When I worked to make sure that the ground of that tree was watered with the deep root watering, was fed with the minerals and the fertilizer and kept free of the competing weeds, then the same tree yielded fruit. It turned around. Neglect the ground, no fruit. Work the ground, fruit. Neglect the work, no fruit. Work, fruit. Just that simple. Just that simple. I determine the fruitfulness of that tree by the work that I invest or don't invest into the ground. Not the tree, it's me. All determined by whether or not I put in the work on the ground the tree is planted in, to water it, to feed it, to pull the weeds. The issue is never the tree. The issue is the ground the tree is planted in. It's all about the ground, not the tree. That's exactly, that's exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ was talking about when he said, and please turn to this, Luke 8.15. Because in this passage here, in Luke 8.15, he says something very interesting, very revealing. He says, But that, on the good ground, are they, keep that in mind, the ground are the people, but that on the good ground are they, which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it, and bring forth fruit with patience. He said that our hearts, we are like the ground, are like ground color our hearts, the ground. In other words, he said that the ground of my fruit tree, my orange tree, is like our hearts. And the orange tree is like the Holy Spirit, like the Spirit of God. And so what he was saying was that when we have ground, hard ground, that is, as he described, honest and good. That's like an honest and good heart. 
And then he said that just like when my orange tree is planted in good ground, I don't have to worry about whether or not the tree is going to yield fruit. The tree will do its job. I just need patience. And when the Holy Spirit is planted in the good ground in a Christian of an honest and a good heart, no one has to worry about whether or not the Holy Spirit is going to yield its fruit. The Holy Spirit will do its job of producing fruit. We determine whether or not the Holy Spirit will yield fruit in our lives. If my orange tree does not yield fruit, it's because I haven't put the work into the ground that it's planted in. And if there's no fruit of the Spirit in our lives, it's because we have not put the work into the heart ground the Holy Spirit has planted himself in. If we don't see the fruit of the love, the joy, the peace, the long-suffering, the gentleness, the goodness, the faith, the meekness, and the temperance, it's because our heart ground needs work. So here's the question. What do we do? What do we do? What's the work that we have to put into our heart ground to make our ground good, to make our heart good? He said two things in Luke 8, 15. But that on the good ground are they which in an honest heart having, here's the first thing, number one, heard the word. Here's the second thing, number two, and keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. Number one, he said, heard the word, hear the word. What does that mean? If we don't take time to read this book, if we don't take time to read the Bible, not just to read it for the sake of mouthing the words, or, but read it to listen, read it to hear it, read it. Hearing the word is not just reading the words, it's listening, it's hearing, and it is the second part, it is taking it to heart. Not just be exposed to the Bible, but open our hearts, take the Bible into our hearts. It's not exposure, it's absorption, it's incorporation into our hearts. This is work. This is work, just like it's work to keep that ground good that the orange tree is planted in. It's preparing our hearts. It's going to our heart and it's saying, you know, my heart has got hard ground. It needs to be tilled up. It needs to be turned over because my heart's not sensitive. Why isn't the heart sensitive? Sin. Sin hardens the heart. As God said in another place in Scripture, have ye your heart hardened? So how do you till hearts that have been hardened through sin? Very simple. We face the sin. We name it as sin. We confess it as sin, and we forsake the sin. Now, another problem that comes to the heart that we need to prepare our heart soil is to make it free of the rocks, to take the rocks out of the soil so that the roots can go deep. What does that mean? This means that we must deeply consider, meditate on what the Bible is saying. That's important. Not just a quick smile, oh, that's wonderful, and then rush away. 
but really deeply take it in and consider it and to ponder. Then preparing our heart means to clear out the weeds. What are the weeds symbolic of? The weeds are symbolic of whatever steals our occupation, whatever steals our attention, whatever steals our interest, whatever draws us away. What could that be? Oh, that could be a preoccupation with money. That could be a preoccupation with recreation. That could be a preoccupation with work. That could be a preoccupation with you name it. Whatever is stealing away the interest and the occupation, that is a weed that needs to be dug up and taken out. And the second thing he said, as we've already mentioned, is to keep the word. Keep means to incorporate it to the level of saying, I want to do what it says. I don't want to just hear it. I don't want to just memorize it. I don't want to just know it. I don't want to just know about it. I want to do what it says. You see, this is so important. In Luke 2.19, speaking about Mary, and Mary, this description of Mary gives us such a wonderful insight into the person that she was. Because it says in Luke 2.19, when she received all this information from God, it said, Mary kept and pondered them in her heart. Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart, Luke 2.19. That's wonderful. That's a pattern for us. That's something that we should copy, that we should emulate, to keep all the things that God gives us and to ponder them in our hearts. When we read the Bible and God gives us a special message as we're reading through, we say, oh, that's just what I was asking God about. Oh, that's just what I needed in my heart. I'll write it down. I'll think about it. I'll turn to it throughout the day. That's doing what Mary did, keeping all these things. Don't let them fall away and pondering them in her heart. See, that's what it means to keep the word. So the Spirit of God is one force inside of Christians, but there's another force inside. And what's the name of that force? Turn to Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. And this reads this way. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of, and here's its name, the flesh. You shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are the contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, Variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. See, if the Spirit of God inside of us is a tree or a vine, and it yields fruit, what does the flesh make? The flesh is not described as the fruit of the flesh. It's described as the works of the flesh. And it's a factory. 
If the Spirit of God is a vine, the flesh is a factory, and it's cranking out. And as it cranks out its products, the flesh is producing works, and the works are adultery and fornication and uncleanness and murders and drunkenness and seditions and revelings and so forth. See, you can hear it. It's just working. It's just cranking these things out, and they're the works of the flesh, and it's coming from within us. The flesh is part of us. But the Spirit of God is not. The Spirit of God is from the outside coming into us, and so he yields the fruit of the Spirit. See, in Romans 7, 18 through 24, it talks about the flesh, and it describes certain important aspects that we need to understand about the flesh. First, it says, For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, But how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that, I would not. It's no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? So this enemy that we have inside each one of us is called the flesh. And we see clearly the difference as we've considered these passages between the spirit and the flesh. Verse 18, it said, the flesh is in us. Whereas in verse 18, we see the spirit, obviously from the spirit of God, causes us to will. He works on our will. In verse 18, we saw the flesh is described as no good thing. Whereas in verse 19, it says that the spirit causes us to want the good that I would. In verse 20, it calls the flesh sin that dwelleth in me, whereas verse 22 calls the spirit the inward man. Verse 23 tells us that the spirit works in the realm of our mind. And verse 22 tells us the spirit brings to us a certain delight, a joy, Whereas verse 23 tells us that the flesh brings us into prison, into misery, where we would say, oh, wretched man that I am. Now, keeping that in mind, and we turn back to Genesis 6, that's the application, this verse 3, is the application of this verse for us as Christians. Two forces are at work within us. So there's a war going on inside of us. There's a war. We could call it the moral war going on inside of each one of us. It's the war between the Spirit of God and the flesh. And when it comes to Genesis 6, verse 3, who's winning? The flesh. How do you know? It says, for that he also is flesh. It means the sons of God were losing the moral war between the spirit and the flesh. And the sons of God were sinking deeper and deeper and deeper into the flesh. And the sons of God were becoming wholly carnal. 
They were losing the moral battle. And when God saw them in Genesis 6, 5, it says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. What made the difference for man to be so wicked on earth? Why was there all this great wickedness on the earth? The great wickedness was seen because man had lost a battle in his mind. First, there was the battle in the mind, and that battle was lost. And then the corruption and the violence starts coming. But you see what it says? Every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. What does that mean? Every imagination of the thoughts of his heart. What's the imagination of the thoughts of the heart mean? First of all, before we come to that, notice in the first couple of words there in the fifth verse, God saw, and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Don't miss those two words. They're very important because they tell us so much about God. It shows us God is looking on our thoughts. God is monitoring what we are thinking about. He sees our thoughts, just like David, king of Israel, said in Psalms 94:11. The Lord knoweth the thoughts of man that they are vanity. Just like he said again in Psalm 139:2, Thou knowest my downsitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. He sees when we sit down, he sees when he gets up, and he sees right inside of our mind, and he says he knows our thought afar off. If you think about that, God knows our thought afar off. He knows the terrible things that we think about that we shove into the back closet, and we put signs on there, do not open, and we think we're the only one. God saw that. God saw that thought. Oh, what this makes us think about God. Dad, as you know, I go to London every other month. London has the most video surveillance of any city in the world. As a matter of fact, London has over 10,000 cameras in public places. When I'm there, it's always in the back of my mind that I'm being watched and recorded. Not that I would do anything wrong, but if I did, it would definitely not be in London. Why is it that I think twice when I'm in London? Well, it's just as you said, it's because you're in the back of your mind when you're in London, you know that they, you can't see these cameras, but there are 10,000 cameras in London. They're below street lights. They're on top of ledges. They're just everywhere. And of course, they're set up in places so that they are purposefully hidden. But you know they're there. And that's why you say that it affects you. So you think, boy, if I'm going to do something wrong, it's not going to be in London. You know, that's exactly how God wants us to view us living. We live, this earth is like London. It's like all of London. There is no escape from the cameras that are being watched and recorded. Why? Because Proverbs 15.3 says that there are cameras everywhere on this earth when it says, 
The eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. It's a very good thing to think of ourselves when we live here on earth as being in London. We're in London all the time. We're in London in our closets. We're in London in our bedrooms. We're in London in our living rooms. We're in London in our cars. We're in London everywhere. There is no escape because the eyes of the Lord are the video cameras that are watching and beholding, as he says, the evil and the good. And we should let this knowledge, like you said, David, to be on us as we live in, in on planet Earth like you have when you're in London. You know, this knowledge was on a particular person where we have the record of what happened to him in Genesis 39, and that's the person, Joseph. That's the the name of your brother, Joseph. And, And I was so impressed with Joseph when he was born that I named him Joseph. And this is one of the sterling passages of Joseph because it shows that Joseph lived his life as if he was in London. There wasn't even a London when Joseph was alive. Doesn't matter. He lived with the knowledge of Proverbs 15.3, that the eyes of the Lord were in every place, beholding the evil and the good. The eyes of the Lord were in the place where Joseph worked, which was in his master Potiphar's house. The eyes of the Lord were watching Joseph and Joseph's master's wife as she cast her eyes upon him, as it says in Genesis 39.7, where we read, and it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, lie with me. In other words, she's propositioning him. She's saying to Joseph, you commit adultery with me. Joseph was a single man. He had all the hormones racing through him as a single man in his prime wood, and there she was making herself look like the fruit that he should just reach up and grab. But what made the difference for Joseph? He was in London. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. So it says in Genesis 39, 8, but he refused and said unto his master's wife, behold, my master, what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. So what happened with Joseph? Joseph realized... I'm being watched. I'm being recorded. And so he says, no. He says, no. And he speaks to his master's wife. And he tries to reason with her. And he tries to get her to also understand that she's not alone, that, that God is there beholding the evil and the good. So he says to her, he says, behold, my master, he doesn't know what's with me in the house. And he's committed all that he had to my hand. So what is there that Joseph... It's not written that Joseph is saying. He's saying, my master doesn't know what's with me, but God does. My master doesn't doesn't know all that's in my hand, but God does. Why does he think that? Because he knows, Proverbs 15, 3, the eyes of the Lord were there in that place, beholding the evil and the good. And then he says these words, wonderful words. Oh, what great words these are. Joseph, hang it around his neck, put it over his head. These are wonderful words when he says in Genesis 39, 9, there is none greater in this house than I. What's not written Of course, God is greater, but he knew that as far as his responsibility was, that he was, he had this position. There's none greater in this house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee. 
because thou art his wife. Can you imagine? Here, Joseph, what a sterling character he has. He could have just turned to this woman and, and just lashed out at her and said, you know, you wicked woman, get away from me. But that's not Joseph. Joseph was if you like to use the word, an evangelist. He was a heart worker. He was was looking on this poor lost soul on her way to hell, and as Joseph did, he was trying to bring her life, which he did to the whole country when he was put in that position of feeding them with the corn. He's feeding her, her now with truth when he says, nobody's greater in this house than me. And your husband hasn't kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. And so he's saying to her, remember who you are. Remember the vows that are upon you. You are his wife. And then he says, but I want to turn your eyes Godward. He says these words, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Nobody has said anything about God until this point. But Joseph is saying, God, God, in other words, God was in the back of his mind. God, he knew that God was watching all the video cameras. God was sitting there. God was beholding the evil and the good in that place. And Joseph was trying to instruct her and to say to her, come to yourself and realize God is here watching. He's beholding the evil and the good. And then he says, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And what he's really doing, because this is the great soul-winning heart of Joseph, he's saying to her, how can you do this great wickedness and sin against God? The key, what's the key? Understanding Proverbs 15.3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the good and the evil. Thank you for joining us today. Now, do you have a Jewish friend or know of a Jewish person that needs to be reached with the gospel? Would you like to give them a gospel gift or have one sent to them? Well, you can contact Israel Restoration Ministries and the Friendship with God radio program by phone today, and we can get a free Tom Cantor testimony DVD and booklet into their hands or into your hands to give to them. So call us today, 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. Call us today. Many of us know a lost Jewish person, whether it's a lawyer, doctor, businessman, friend, neighbor, someone that you know that you want to reach with the gospel. We can help you to do that. Call us today, 1-800-247-3051, or go to friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Thanks for listening, and join us again tomorrow.